this episode John Langton talks about his journey in creating a data science startup and discussing the future of enterprise AI so stay tuned Welcome everyone to another episode of Future of Data pod- Leadership Podcast. Today we have with us John Langton from Athena Health. Uh, a, a, a quick bio, uh, John Langton is Director of Data Science at Athena Health. He was previously CEO of Visitrain, a visual an- analytics company that was acquired by Carbon Black uh, in 2015. He has a PhD in computer science and an extensive background in AI. machine learning big data analytics and visualization prior to founding visitrend john was principal investigator on several dod projects at charles river analytics he has taught classes at brandeis university and has several peer reviewed publication with that so john thank you so much uh, for agreeing to uh, come to the podcast and sharing your uh, your insights with, with our community Here thanks so much for inviting me. Appreciate it. So let's why don't we start with um, your your journey. Your journey and I think it's fascinating um, when I was looking at your LinkedIn profile you are you are one of those guys who have worked through the startup phase and brought up uh, AI and machine learning startup get it get it uh, get an exit from that and then helping Athena Health. So why don't you walk us through your your professional journey uh, to give us a taste of what has what you have been through. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Sure, sure. Yeah, um it was uh certainly uh an interesting journey um I tend to color a little bit outside the lines um so it it started off traditional enough I I uh, got a PhD so a very academic background um you know specializing in AI uh machine learning uh and visualization I was particularly interested in the sort of intersection of um human intelligence and and machine intelligence so can use humans as sort of feedback functions and uh evolutionary algorithms as the fitness function things like that and and how do we sort of pair what humans are good at and what what machines are good at and sort of uh human in the loop analysis things like that um i did uh uh sort of some early work with computational neuroscience and developed a tool um uh for them to sort of uh explore parameter spaces of, of neuron models um and from from there my my first uh real job was uh at uh, Charles River Analytics um and then I went uh just deeper into artificial intelligence machine learning worked on a, a bunch of de- uh, department of defense uh projects so some uh some of them were using evolutionary algorithms for routing multiple uh unmanned aerial vehicles and uh sort of multiple objective optimization and things like that um and uh and that's also where I started to get into um cybersecurity uh so I was really interested in using more advanced techniques 
Um, I think in a lot of fields, and especially cybersecurity, um, they were trying to get a handle on on just securing things at, at all. It's, it's pretty hard to get traction. And so a lot of the initial systems were, were rules. Uh, you know, humans were kind of like doing analysis. They'd figure out what would happen and then make a rule that would say, if this happens, you know, stop it or, or fix it or respond in this way. And I was interested in using um, much more adaptable flexible autonomous techniques, so probabilistic algorithms, um, AI machine learning, things like that. And so I started getting into that and uh, I was very early in that space. Um, I think uh, in all honesty, only now is the cybersecurity industry really starting to mature in those aspects. Um, and you have some companies doing interesting things, uh, Carbon Black being one of them. Uh, sometimes they call it behavioral analytics. Um, uh, but that that was something I started uh, working on uh, actually on an Air Force contract and um, sort of had the entrepreneurial bug uh, bite me. Uh, and so I left Charles River Analytics and started my own company. Um, I, I knew the uh, sort of contracting space and so I bootstrapped the company at first with, uh, with other contracts, proposals and contracts that I won with the Department of Defense. Um, um, but from there, after sort of um, writing the the original software, um, I wanted to pivot and commercialize it within the private sector. Uh, and so I was actually successful at doing that, which I was really happy about because um, a lot of a lot of folks have difficulty bridging that divide between um, the actual DoD work and, and then uh, commercializing what you produce um, in the private sector. Uh, and so I raised money uh, through venture capital. Um, there was a VC group called Atlas Venture at the time. Mm. Uh, since then, it's uh, split up and it's become Accomplice Venture um, in, in another group. I think they actually retained the original name. Mm. Um, but I was working with uh, with a VC named Chris Lynch, who has who has since actually left the Accomplice, and he's now doing kind of his own thing. Um, really interesting guy. Uh, tons of fun to work with. Had a great experience with them, um, and uh, you know we we developed the company, developed the technology, um, learned a lot of lessons, did a lot of things wrong, um, but luckily had uh, a profitable exit, um, good exit for for everyone, and um, and so that's wonderful if you can do that and have a great learning experience <laughs> and still uh, still walk away from it. Um, uh, so Carbon Black acquired the company um, because they were interested. We were actually a more general platform. Uh, the, the vision was really that that original insight I had during grad school of trying to do human and loop analysis, lower the bar for people to do data science and machine learning. Um, essentially, the concept was that we would really work through visualization, interactive visualization, um, sort of show users their, their parameter space of the problem that they were trying to solve and then enable them to interact with the visualization to run algorithms, uh, you know, like auto-regressive integrated moving averages, but but they would have no idea. So when they're drawing a line graph, they might be doing this crazy forecasting, but they have no idea that's what's behind the scenes. So we're really trying to make it really intuitive so that they're just interacting with the visualization, um, but it's doing, you know, tapping into these really powerful algorithms. Um, and so that could be applied to mul multiple different spaces. Um, we, we actually looked at, um, you know, marketing optimization. We were working with a company that was doing AdWord uh, optimization, AdWord choices. Um, we actually did uh, some fraud detection with an insurance company. 
Um, and then we were doing, uh, actually working with a high frequency trading company, um, um, doing multiple things there. Uh, and ultimately we were looking a lot at uh, cybersecurity and that's what interested Carbon Black. Um, so how, you know, how do you apply these advanced algorithms uh, to cybersecurity? Um, because like I said, uh, cybersecurity, you know, started as rule, out as rules and, and even the uh, sort of the antivirus approaches mm. are really to sort of hash a file and if a new file comes on your system and it matches, if you hash it and it matches this hash of known bad things, then block it. Mm. The problem is, is that um, there are literally hundreds of thousands of new malware, uh, you know, coming on to the, the network every, uh, or, or the, you know, the internet at, at large um, every week. So. Um, and if you've never seen something before, you know, you can't respond if you're only looking for a hash um, of known bad things. And so the, the techniques folks were using after that, I mean, this is a very well-known thing within the mm -hmm. industry. So, so people would develop techniques of looking for specific behaviors. So they'd make these rules that, you know, if something, you know, tries to access memory space that it clearly should not be accessing, then say it's a bad thing or, um, if a file actually has zero size, you know, um, that's a, that's an indicator. Um, so there's all kinds of sort of indicators. Um, the problem is, is it's still very brittle because there's still mm -hmm. rules and the behavior, you know, the hackers will figure out how you're detecting them and then they'll slightly change the behavior in order to avoid detection. Um, and so what we were doing is applying machine learning methods to basically be able to see patterns across these different behaviors. So rather than create a rule that detects one specific behavior, uh, we're learning general rules through machine intelligence, things that are probably not intuitive to a human that, that you wouldn't think of to create as a rule, but that the machines can see as patterns of behavior that these types of files do, and then uh, you know detect those, um, so patterns of attack. Um, and uh, we actually had uh, a lot of great success there, um, and some of that technology is being used in, in carbon, carbon black's offerings. Um, so they've got some really interesting stuff for behavioral analytics, um, malware detection, uh, things like that. Um, and uh, from there, you know, there was a successful transition. Um, you know, uh, integrating the technology, you know, applying the technology for new problems uh, at carbon black, and then. Um, uh, I actually was contacted by Athena Health, um, so I'm, I'm regularly contacted by various companies and interested in doing stuff. Um, but the call with Athena Health was very interesting to me because healthcare, the healthcare industry just seemed so, so ripe with opportunities <laughs> for true. applying advanced algorithms, advanced techniques. Um, and I, of course, you see a lot in, in like industry conferences and various things how you know. Healthcare AI is like really, really hot, um, and other people are realizing this. Um, that it's basically a green field of opportunity. There's a, um, I mean, I think healthcare in general has been very slow to adopt new technologies, um, and so it's, um, you know, there's still a transition to electronic medical records. You know, a lot of folks are still making that transition and figuring out what systems to use. Uh, of course, Athena Health provides. Uh, you know, their, their version of that. Um, and so once you have all this 
information digitized, um, you know how you now have access to it, you know, and you can apply various algorithms to it. Um, so, I mean, there's definitely lots of complications. I mean, the data is very messy. Um, it's uh, highly um, diverse in structure, you know. So you have, you know, doctor's notes, pretext notes, you know, and a lot of the time it's not natural language. Uh, it's, you know, sort of snippets of thoughts, you know, they're just kind of like jotting things down. And so a lot of like traditional NLP techniques that are looking at for sentence structure and trying to root out semantics won't work because, you know, these are just like sentence fragments and, and, and weird things like that. And so you have to use different types of NLP approaches to try to get information out of, out of things like that. Um, and then there's structured aspects to the data. There's fields, you know, of course the name, age, and all kinds of, you know, measurements that are taken on patients. Um, and so there's a real challenge to get all of that data into a format where you can apply algorithms and do interesting things. Um, but, um, but you know, I, I enjoy that challenge. Um, and so there's a lot of exciting things that, that we're doing at a clinical. So, so, so what learning. is um, and and thank you so much, um, uh, John, for for walking us through your journey. So, uh, what's your what's your current role in uh, Athena? Like, what what are you responsible for? So, uh, data, um, director of data science. What does it really mean? If you can shed some light on that. Sure. So, um, uh, so I am the director of data science. Um, and that can mean different things at different companies. Um, I actually have a fairly large team. It's around 25 people, and it's and I think we just added several people, so it's getting up to close to 30 people. Um, and that is broken into um, different teams, primarily three different teams, and each of those teams has a manager. Uh, and then there's a senior manager who helps me more on the operational side. Um, Sort of executing things uh, where I do my role um, uh, is more strategy. Um, so I, I, I definitely wear many hats. Um, so I, I have a very deep technical background, which I think sets me apart from uh, a lot of managers. Mm. So you know I've I've done quite a lot of coding myself. <clears throat> I can I and I can and I like coding. So you know I'm I'm uh, hopefully not too annoying of a manager <laughs> where I will actually have. <laughs> <clears throat> on how to do and, and I will make them known. Um, uh, but, but yeah, I, um, because of that deep technical expertise, you know, I can serve as a foundation for the rest of the entire organization if folks are wondering what algorithm, what, what are the, if they're encountering a new problem and they're trying to figure out what is the selection of algorithms I, I should be considering to solve this particular problem. Uh, a lot of time they come to me and they ask, you know, um, and so I'm I'm really sort of laying the groundwork, uh, creating the project roadmaps for very large, you know, ambitious projects. I'll come up with that product project roadmap. Um, talk about the algorithms, what order they should try them in, how they should evaluate them, what they should be uh, anticipating, things like that. I'll provide a lot of feedback and guidance on projects, things like that. So. So in one aspect, I serve as, as an architect um, for building these large big data systems. I also interface with, with a lot of other um, organizations around the company. So, um, sorry, I'm bouncing all over. Um, you know, part, part of the vision uh, aspect is trying to figure out what the department works on. And when I joined Athena Health, 
um, I was given a mandate essentially that traditionally the data science department had done much, much more um, tasks uh, along along the lines of traditional business analytics. Um, so sort of sort of like if um, you know product metric goes up or goes down, can can you figure out what variable is correlated with that? Um, mm. like, if users are taking longer to per to complete this task, do do we get more calls in the support center? You know, um, and so it was, it was very traditional business analytics, um, and they really wanted to transition from doing stuff like that to taking on more advanced analytics projects. You know, using AI, using machine learning, um, and then even becoming a center of, of product themselves, creating mm. new products. Um, and so that was really my sort of uh, my mission uh, was interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So, so I think if 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 we talk about um, your journey, right? So you have worked on a on a service industry, then you worked on a, on a, on your own startup, raise it to success. Um, then you now you move to another, a, a a big corporate entity. Like, what are some of the some some of the similarities that you have seen um, as a as a someone executing data science or AI or in, in like what are some of the things that uh, you call recipe of success when you are sort of translating between different corporate structures to deliver an outcome so if you can shed some light on that right uh, that's, a, that's a really interesting we'll resume after a short break this part of the podcast is brought to you by first Friday fair fastest AI powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Question, I hope I have a good answer for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I mean, the keys to success, I mean, it, it depends on like what aspects of success um, mm. you're referring to. I mean, there's like building teams versus success on the projects versus success in your personal career. Um, you know, I mean, I think the, the the first thing that pops in mind, which maybe is a little ephemeral, is is trying to get at what um, really trying to lock down what the goals are, what the objectives, um, and and that can mean different things. So in in the um, you know in the uh, the DoD contracting. Uh, it was sort of um, everyone has sort of like the different perspectives on techniques and um, you know when you're writing proposals you have to sort of infer what is the person what is the problem the person's really trying to solve so being able to drill down on what is the actual business problem um, uh, and, and that that was true in, in, in the DoD side of things when you're trying to basically um, you know address a problem understand the problem that, that they're trying to address and, and then and solve it and, and be able to respond to it in a way in your proposals that resonate uh, with the people who are essentially, you know, evaluating proposals and deciding whether to give them money or not. Um, uh, the same thing holds true. There's, there's a, a vein of that certainly in, in a startup, you know, figuring out the business problem. What business problem are you solving? I, I think a lot of folks, you know, some really business one-on-one -on -one mistakes folks make are, um, they think about the technology first. They think, you know, hey, here's a, I have a new idea for a new technology, and I think it's really neat. So I'm going to build it, and then I'm going to go figure out what business problem it solves. And that is the exact wrong thing to do. You 
first you have to figure out what is the business problem that you're trying to solve. And unfortunately for tech folks, a lot of the time the solution is not necessarily elegant. Um, mm. To get there first, you know, do minimum viable product and to try to go in with all the business concerns that you have and you're trying to keep the lights on. Technical elegance is at the very bottom of the, of the priority list. Um, and the, the initial solutions are not uh, necessarily the best solutions. And in the marketplace, the best mm-hmm. solutions don't win out. In fact, very often they do not win out. Um, and I think like the, actually, I don't, I don't, I don't this is a bad, bad reference to make, but I think VHS and uh, Betamax is an example people throw out there. I probably shouldn't throw it out there because I don't know anything about the technology, but, but folks had argued one is better than the other, but because of business mm-hmm. relationships or other issues. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, th- and that is certainly true with Athena Health. When you're, you know, you have to justify um, your department, your department size. You know what you're doing. What is the output of your department? Um, you know, leaders and companies want to know this, and so you have to justify your existence, really, um, and especially if you want to grow uh, and and increase your influence at, at the company. Um, and so one of the big things that I do at Athena Health is that I go from, they have multiple products, and so I go from, from product owner to product owner, work with leadership uh, on the product side, uh, product management, um, and I identify, you know, what are the business problems that they're trying to solve. Um, and it's an, it's an interesting um, question because a lot of the time when you enter these conversations with folks, both start thinking in terms of what can AI do for me or what can right. machine learning do for me, what can data science do for me. And I really don't want them thinking about that. I want them telling me what is the problem you're trying to solve. It's really my job to figure out how data science will, will go through and solve that. Um, and uh, to tie back to the, to the original answer and the theme of, of what I'm trying to communicate is that um, what I will often see are folks uh, in data science sort of go down um, rabbit holes. Uh, you know, I have, I have a wonderful colleague, employee uh, um, that that reports directly to me, has incredibly deep expertise, postdoc from Harvard, um, and uh, and he, he just he, he he's incredibly knowledgeable, but he will um, he gets so sort of in. Uh, wrapped up in solving a technical problem mm. uh, that, and, and this goes even on the technical side, even if you're not considering um, the business problem you're trying to solve, but really tr- keeping your eye on, on the ball, as, as it were, and making sure you're really focusing on solving the problem at hand and not overcomplicating your solution. Um, you know, so we like we have a natural language processing problem we're working on, and he, so he's looking at you know named entity. Extraction and so he's like pulling down all these libraries, these Python libraries, plugging them in, and like doing all these things. And uh, the reality is that this one part of the problem can very, very easily be solved. Regular expressions, you know. So starting with the the most simple thing first, uh, I think is key. You know, um, keeping an eye on what is the problem you're actually trying to solve. Uh, don't get lost, uh, or don't don't. Uh, um, Basically, listen to the siren songs of the 
of advanced techniques. Um, you know, I mean, it's perfectly fine to be passionate. You know, I very much encourage that and, and want to learn new things and try new things if, if, it, if it fits in, but you can very easily go down rabbit holes and as a consequence, fail to solve the actual problem you're trying to solve. Um, I guess in a way I'm trying to get at the point that there there is a really big difference between academic data science mm-hmm. and applied data science. Um, and if you're um, if you want to be in academia, then then ignore everything I just said. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to uh, if, you know if you want to start a company or if you want to work at a large company and, and be effective, um, then uh, then you know the applied aspect is, is really the key to success. It's the ability to translate from what an algorithm does or what an approach does to and, and fitting it um, to the real world. Uh, and, and how would you apply that? How would you evaluate it? Um, how do you translate that? Because there's very rarely a very clean one-to-one mapping. And a lot of the time what I find is, is most, very much most, I'd say 90% of folks, the employees that I work with, um, more, probably 95% of folks can academically know how to solve a problem mm. and counter a problem in the real world. And when they look at it in the real world, they have no idea that this is that type of problem and that this is how you would solve it. They can't make that mapping or figure out how to format the data from the real world in a way that you can, can apply an algorithm. So being able to bridge that divide, that's really probably the biggest value one of certainly one of the biggest value adds I have, um, and, and one of the things that has made me so successful, and why I'm a director of data science, um, is my ability to, to do that, um, and, and and ultimately do that on projects, and, and that's why I'm sort of creating the project roadmaps and, and helping people. I think that's that's thing. that's interesting, uh, John. By the way, and it, it reminded me of one of the conversation I had with uh, one of the data science executive at, at um, one of the largest insurance uh, company and and she put it the best she said shall you know the problem with data science is there's a lot more solution than the, than their problems and yeah. and and, and said so that's that's what that's the and if you don't have a problem to a solution then it's a noise right so now it's your job as a leader to sort of not let your team distract on a lot of solution that doesn't correspond to a particular problem so i think you nailed it fair and yeah. square that getting to the problem is um, is the heart of uh, putting together any successful team or group or whatever. So, th- thank you so yes. much for sharing that. Now, now let's let's I think let's talk about your your entrepreneurial journey a bit. So, um, yeah. what are some of the migraines or some of the headaches that 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 you used to face sort of when you're putting together this company, uh, Visit Trends, and if you can shed some light on some of the challenges uh, that you that you saw. Um, in, in putting together a data science sort of AI company? Uh, at a startup company, yeah, I mean, the challenges there are definitely distinct from the challenges at, um, uh, you know, a larger company. I mean, I think you're, um, when you're building a data science team, there, there are definitely general um, uh, general challenges that I think apply across the board. Um, trying to actually do a startup uh, is, um, you know, uh, have, presents its own set of challenges. Um, you know, one big difference is that we're, we're trying to sell product. You know, I think data science at companies a lot of time uh, are internal, basically. Um, mm. Athena Health is actually an exception. Uh, we 
we are actually creating product that is customer facing in addition to being internal facing. And so we have both internal and external stakeholders. So, and that's fine and exciting and, and very mm-hmm. different. I think most data science departments at companies are internal facing. And so you're trying to help someone else, you know, figure something out. Like you might be working with UX teams to do A-B testing, uh, sort of figure out is a new feature or a new website design, you know, um, good. Uh, is, it, is it going to result in more uh, traffic, more people purchasing more? Um, you know, or you might be optimizing marketing, um, or you might be optimizing, you know, uh, you know, for, for Amazon or, or uh, uh, you know, Wayfair, um, optimizing uh, that sort of delivery of furniture and like how much furniture of what type do you store in what locations and what warehouses to make sure you're able to deliver everything within two days, you know, so optimizing distribution and all those sort of things. It's all internal facing, so you don't. Yeah. You're not trying to go and sell that to someone. You're not trying to say, "Hey, this is." Uh, well, in some cases, depending on company politics, you might be trying to, <laughs> to do that to an external internal stakeholder, but um, but you're not, you know, trying to convince someone that, "Hey, you should buy this product." Hmm. Um, at a startup, you are. Um, so one of the biggest challenges. Uh, I mean, there were a lot of challenges. One of the biggest challenges was educating the customer. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're trying to sell an advanced product that is using AI, machine learning, um, and it doesn't even have to use those things. It, really, any advanced product I think, mm-hmm. that doesn't have uh, a very accessible story, it is very difficult. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you you have to figure out what resonates with customers, and, and a lot of the time, um, you might hear this and more and more businessy meetings if you start going up the management chain or, or whatever um, people will, will start you know asking so who cares you know but you know so it does so accomplishes this technological task why do I care you know and then and then uh, and then they'll just keep on asking that so you'll say well that will enable you to you know ship widgets within two days and then they'll keep asking it well so what you know who cares and like well that result in customers being happy and then they buy more product and so you, you really have to get it back to at the end of the day dollars and cents you know mm. does that generate more revenue or does that reduce costs you know why do i care about this thing that whatever it achieves technologically is not uh, good enough so if you can craft your message to really um, hit those things it will resonate with customers but they still want to know the how um, so that that will at least open their ears and mm. get them to listen. To you. But they still want to know the how. And if you have a complicated story, um, you know, uh, it, it is incredibly difficult to educate the customer as to what your product does. Um, uh, uh, you know, so um, so this was certainly true for for Visitrend. Uh, the other thing is we were essentially trying to lower the bar for people doing um, advanced analytics. Um, and so this means that we had broad use cases. So as I mentioned, mm-hmm. we, we with some clients in marketing, uh, insurance, cybersecurity. Um, it is, I would say in general, it is very inadvisable for someone to start a company and try to have such a broad uh, market that they're trying to address. Um, and so that was a mistake that we made. Um, uh, 
Um, and so what you really want to do is sort of attack a single vertical, um, try to narrow the scope. And part of this is also simplifying your message. So for instance, there was a, another company that was using uh, a finite set of only a handful of analytics to analyze DNS traffic and visualize it. And they got much further. And this is something that we did out of the box. This is like something that was very, very easy for us. And we had many more analytics run on DNS traffic um, and many other types of, of traffic. But because their message was so crisp and so clear, even though they had less functionality, but, but, but their message was so crisp and clear, this is what we do, this is all we do, this is, and we do it well. Um, they actually got further and farther than we did. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I guess you can uh, thinking of strange analogies, um, like Chipotle, right? they have, they don't have a lot of options, you know, it's sort of, you know, burritos or a burrito bowl, you know, there's very few options, you can mix and match them. Um, but that it just, it, it, for, well, for them, it's like economies of scale, they make it scale, they don't have flexes creating these different things. The same thing kind of applies in a startup. The more analytics mm. you're trying to support, the more time that you're writing all this code without knowing how is it going to actually be applied in, you know, by a customer. So you really want to identify that vertical, um, uh, sort of go, go after it. Uh, and that's a challenge in, in startup that, that is that is unique, um, and again, that that sort of education phase. I mean, so we were hitting cybersecurity. I'll, I'll relate one last story on that note. Um, we were um, doing analytics to show uh, and visualization to show how you can detect different things in cybersecurity. Um, it's something called hunting. Now, that's the other thing is we were early to the market. You can actually be too too early to a market. You can have a solution and a product, and I think we actually happened upon that because. Hunting was not a term in cybersecurity when we were around, um, and it has since become a term. And there's many requirements for products that do what we did now, that were not around before because the market hadn't caught up yet. Um, and this is basically around humans that are trying to do incident response, trying to figure out once we've been hacked or we had some sort of incident, what actually happened, how did they get in? Um, did you clean it all up? Did you do everything? You know, do they still have access? And how do you respond to it? And so they're they're essentially hunting, um, or also just trying to detect what actually happened. Did something happen? So they're hunting through like all of these different computer logs and trying to find information. And part of our huge value add was being able to sift through massive amounts of data um, very quickly and identify patterns and show them to you visually. Um, and so the demo that I ran to do this was. DNS tunneling, and so this is a way of mm. doing data exfiltration. So basically, someone in your organization who's a hacker and who's very, very skilled can use a technique where they establish a tunnel with an external server, and they in, um, basically uh, sneak information out of your company uh, inside of DNS requests, um, inside of some of the header values, and they can encrypt it. Uh, so nothing actually sees the data going out. And the way that it's going out is it looks like you're just requesting websites. So oh. most security stuff doesn't protect it because they don't know is this a valid website or is it, is it an invalid website? You know, it's just someone's going to, you know, google.com, only now it looks like, you know, xxy, you know, basically code, mm. .com. And, uh, and so I was showing how you could detect this with our technology and I was going over all this 
fancy technical explanation of, of how we were doing this and how neat it was. And at the end of it, I realized, and I was talking to a CISO, um, and this is supposed to be someone who knows a lot about security, who like controls the security for an organization. And, and this was in particular a, over a, a company that was worth several billion dollars. And this was the guy in charge of all of their security. And at the end of my spiel, I realized he had no idea what I was talking about or what DNS tunneling was. Um, and so that was all wasted time. Um, and, uh, and so that, that goes to show that, um, you know, educating the customer about data science, that's, that's unique to a startup. <laughs> if your product is, is a data science product, um, educating the customer and then, uh, um, you know, showing them, um, you know, ultimately the only thing people care about is what does it do for me? And mm. so it's better not to even enter those conversations until someone really asks. Mm. And most, most of the time they'll stop you once you start explaining. But, um, uh, you know, tell them what it does, just like it stops data exfiltration. It, it's, it's tough because then they want validation that, that you're actually capable of doing that. And if you're a startup, it's harder because, you know, you're a small company, they're not sure mm. they trust you, you actually don't say so you can start talking about technical stuff, but then they don't really want to hear the technical stuff. So it's, it can be a very difficult position to be in. At the end of the day, I find whether you're at a big company or a small company that um, results always work. Mm. Um, and so if you can, um, some problems and the results are not always clear in communicating them and communicating how you can affect them are not always clear. Um, but most of the time, they are. Um, you know, there was actually a big, uh, a lot of political nonsense um, that I dealt with recently on a very large project that I was working on, uh, which was automatically classifying medical documents. Um, and the thing that really kind of solved it for everyone was that um, the models that I helped engineer and that my team took on um, just trounced everything else, outperformed everything. And so at the end of the day, it was like, hey, man, <laughs> you know, this works. Um, so, you know, and that kind of ended all the arguments. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Interesting. So I think one thing that um, definitely uh, I, I want your perspective, and this is something that we hear a lot about uh, from many of the innovative entrepreneurs in our community. So data science is, is very new and everyone come with a distinct model to approach a particular problem. As, as we said, there's a lot more solution than there are problem in the world in data science. So now um, I, I call it like uh, who the hell are you syndrome? Right. So when, when a startup comes in, you pretty much you laid out some element in it. Like, hey, being innovative, you have now it's your job to, to teach someone. But why the hell someone care unless you're just talking about their bottom line or how it's either optimizing the operations or, or increasing the revenue. It's, it's all noise to uh, most of those guys. What are some of your hacks? Uh, if, if you can if you can shed some light that really helped you through getting um, yourself in front of those conversations. Uh, many times that you were new and you were sort of coming up with a startup with an innovative idea with not probably a good brand backing you up initially and 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 uh, so yeah what are some of some of your cheat sheet if you can if you can if you can shed some light oh, forgetting we'll resume after a short break 
This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Traction with a potential customer? Yeah. Uh, well, so so um, some of them are probably pretty obvious, but maybe not. Um, the first is make sure you're solving a problem they have, right? So mm-hmm. we talked about that a bit. Um, so definitely make sure that they they, they have a problem. Um, and so depending on like how sales salesperson-y you want to be, um, there's sort of a way to negotiate and navigate conversations where you're trying to essentially assess what problems they have mm-hmm. while, while at the same time saying that you solve the problems that they have. <laughs> and so there's a bit of a dance there um, where you're uh, trying, trying to get that information because uh, you can't say, you know, obviously you need to know what problems they have in order to say mm. that you solve Mm. Um, uh, but at the same time, trying to say that you know you have the capability of solving them with your technology. Uh, at the same time, I would definitely caution anyone: you, you don't, you actually don't want. Even if you could win a customer, sometimes you don't necessarily want them. Um, mm. And that might sound really odd, but uh, if you have a customer that's going to require you to customize your software, your solution specifically for them, in order for you to. To deliver on you know what you sold them. Um, you have to think about the cost of the, the technical mm. debt taking on to, to do that customization for them, and will that customization work for other customers? Mm. You know, is it generalizable? Is it taking away from your ability to address other customer needs? And so, so you, so you want to be careful about that. Um, that's one thing. The other thing is make sure try to address, especially if you're a startup, pick, pick a really good problem. Pick a really hard problem, uh, it, you know, provided that you, you have an idea of how to solve it. Um, something that really resonates with people. Um, something, you know, yeah. being timely is certainly a good idea. At the same time, you don't want to chase trends. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, so you just try to keep a balance there. Um, and uh, and and there, you know, if you can consider. Uh, if the solution is is elegant in that it's short, that if you can describe it in an analogy, um, I'm actually working on another startup now, um, and, and part of the, the big reason why I I'm, I'm I find the idea very compelling. Um, obviously, it's my idea, so I'm biased. <laughs> um, but but is that I can sort of throw out an analogy from another business domain hmm. uh, to describe. Um, uh, I'd, I'd love I'd love to share it with you now, but I'm I'm thinking my VC would probably be upset with me if no, I shared it very early on. <laughs> but uh, very early on, but uh, but it's a it's a very clear, crisp idea. I can communicate it in one sentence. Um, mm-hmm. I can. The, way, the reason I can do that is because there's a knowledge, there's another solution in another industry um, that solves it, it's a different yes. problem. But there's a, it's an analogy. If you can use an, an analogy um, to really, you know, something that someone's really familiar with, um, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of an analogy for an analogy like I'm talking about, but I, I'm, I'm blanking. But being able to really communicate things clearly, 
Um, and then from there, it's really relationships. I mean, and, mm. um, and credibility. I mean, the one thing that's, that's um, it, there's definitely pros and cons. I think because I'm a very, very technical person and I have an extremely strong technical background, people who work with me, you know, are, are very kind. And I think, uh, you know, I've delivered some incredibly effective, incredibly complex solutions. You know, I've worked on massive data problems. I've created uh, data processing pipelines, you know, with different cloud infrastructures, you know, using containers and and sort of architected these complete solutions of delivering advanced algorithms in the field for, you know, real product. You know, this this is stuff that people are still pushing on now and, and I've actually, you know, cut my teeth and, and I have experience doing it. So I have this extremely strong technical background. But that can actually be a detriment for business mm. folks. Folks are getting very scared when they hear a technical person <laughs> talking about product management and what you should be doing for a product, and 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 rightly so because most technical people um, don't know that stuff. Most technical people mm. think about what you know. A lot of them are idealists. A lot of them are purists. This is what we should do. You know, we should program our product in Haskell because it's the <laughs> the real programming language. You know, this, these are the types of things technical people say and think about. Uh, whereas a product manager is, is, is trying to figure out what did the customer say? What did they mean by that? What do they actually want? And a lot of time, technical people uh, don't care as much about that. They want to tell the customer what they want, um, and that is very very wrong. Uh, right. That's the wrong way to go about things. So. Uh, so because of my technical background, I think a lot of um, the VCs included, uh, VCs, I can walk into a VC and because of my PhD and my background and my resume, they're, they love they love me, right? Um, but they're like, okay, here's the business guy. Mm -hmm. uh, so in a startup team, you know, typically, and I would recommend most people, I mean, I think they're right. Um, you want a technical guy and a business, or, or a woman, uh, sorry, uh, uh, and a, um, a business uh, person. Uh, and uh, doing like a startup on your own, I actually did that with Visitrend. Not advisable. It's mm. very, very difficult. And most people cannot do it. Most people can't do a startup with multiple people. Doing it with one person as the founder wearing all hats um, is is a Herculean task and, and very difficult. Um, uh, but uh, back to the point that uh, being having this technical background you know people might not mm. think I have the business chops um, I think that's changed now just because of my experience mm. and what I've done in, in my various roles and, and capacities and so forth in fact right now I'm looking at product management uh, roles which is a very new interesting thing for me but also on the BC side I, I think folks didn't realize that I have insights there um, but um, but but yeah so uh, um, uh, a lot of unique, unique challenges, um, uh, you know, on, on the startup side. Sorry, I think I lost the thread. <laughs> no, that's fine. So, so let's let's talk about um, one thing that that uh, I, I need your perspective on is um, good hires, right? So, in your journey, yeah. like, what are some of the traits of um, hires that that you love? Um, um, like what are some of some of the traits that you see hey if you have those or at least acquire those you will be you'll be a you'll be a preferred candidate as per as per what what you want to hire for your teams right right well i so i think um 
I think this is very challenging for companies uh, because there's a really high demand for qualified folks. At the same time, there are a lot of programs that have seen this demand, and so now there's this cottage industry of people trying to train up data scientists. And so, you know, people take a Coursera course and then call themselves a data mm. scientist and um, not cast aspersions, but, um, you know, there, there can be a vast difference between candidates. Um, and it, it can be very difficult to, to identify which ones are good. Um, and now there's a glut of people calling themselves mm. data scientists seeing this trend and they're not really data scientists um, and uh, you will see you know some of the trends that I see to our companies will will hire someone like a physics PhD and mm. um, okay now do data science um, because it's like the closest thing that we mm. can find um, there's not necessarily anything wrong with that but in order to do something like that and have it be successful you still need that initial candidate or the director such as myself who has a really deep expertise and broad expertise, who's a generalist, who can support the growth of, of a team that doesn't necessarily have a core data science background. Um, and I, I think in the current climate, that's that's what you have to do. Um, the initial hire, you really want to be an expert. Um, you want to try it, you want to, and you're going to have to pay for it, and, and you just got to suck it up and do it. Mm. Um, you know, get an expert, pay for the expert. From there, um, the additional folks, you know, can be more junior folks or they can be quantitative folks. And so what I look for in a candidate are people with aptitude. I don't necessarily look for a specific class that they took or a specific thing. I mean, that certainly helps, you know, if you know, mm-hmm. if you know R, if you know, you know, scikit-learn, um, if you've written code before. I mean, these, these are things that, that I look for and can you know, help. Um, but it, I'm really looking for aptitude, the, the ability to learn these new skills uh, and, and the interest in learning new skills. And, and, um, and then I look for a quantitative uh, ability background. You know, so a PhD in physics is, is actually perfect. That, that's great. Uh, I actually have a postdoc in physics um, uh, that's uh, working, working for me, and he's a great uh, uh, great employee, uh, very effective, um, but you know he does lack uh, sort of the context of you know what mm-hmm. algorithms do what when to use them and these things. And, but this is stuff that I can help train them on. And so mm-hmm. I, I actually established a, a training program um, for uh, actually the you know the thirty person data science team. But I've opened it up to the wider um, company of you know, I think like six thousand people now. Um, so that anyone interested, you know, could, could uh, check it out. Um, and uh, for me, I, you know, I'm kind of a, a formalist in some ways. And so the initial courses, I'm going over course statistics. And a lot of people mm-hmm. are doing course analysis, but they don't even know what it is. They don't know the difference of things that are available. So even going through, you know, basic regression um, and uh, Pearson's correlation, things like that, and making sure that people have a real intuition for it. And that, that's key for me. Like, mm. I don't want to memorize math and then be able to rattle it back or, or do it on paper. Um, I want them to have an intuition for how these things work. Um, and so I'm going through these the, this training curriculum, and part of it is, is machine learning. Um, mm. As long as the person has aptitude, it's really the main thing I look for. From there, they can be trained up. But if you're creating a new department, you do need that person who has the capability to train up the other folks. Um, uh, yeah. 
Interesting. So, um, thank you so much, by the way, for, for sharing uh, your thought on, on the ideal candidates. One more area where I, uh, we're almost at the tail end of the conversation, but I, I still want to capture your thoughts on is uh, your background in AI, right? So, yeah, you are very well versed in it. You have worked in various, you have your own startup in that area. You sort of, you've worked with various uh, enterprise segments uh, in, in that domain. So, what are the so and, and you briefly mentioned in 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 this conversation as well that um so how mature is the enterprise ai compared to lab ai or or, or educational ai like what what are what are some of some of the gaps that you're seeing that um is like how much of your data science is actually ai uh, and and if you can shed some connection between the enterprise data science and it's in its usage of ai that that would help us understand what businesses are thinking when when we talk about ai Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, there's been been some really interesting trends in, in AI because um, uh, so I so I do, have done a lot of research in AI, um, and AI has had multiple winters where it was basically a bad word. And it's supposed to say AI, um, and so it's very interesting to see in the market it coming back uh, again. It's, it mm. seems to lives, and now it's um, all over the place. Uh, you're seeing AI everywhere. Um, the, the reality is that even during the winters, AI was new technologies were coming out, mm. and it's a lot of uh, a lot of very effective things. Um, you know, people are carrying AI around with them every day. In pockets, you know, the phones have AI uh, in them all over the place. You know, elevators have AI in them now to um, basically to predict what floors they should be at based on traffic patterns. You know, so in like you know large. Sky, skyscrapers, you know, the elevators themselves have AI. I mean, rice cookers have AI. They have fuzzy mm. logic that came out of AI. Mm. People don't realize this because um, it's interesting. Once once something in AI becomes useful, people stop calling it AI. <laughs> and I, I think the divide is That's that true. when you hear about AI, I think people think of um, things like Star Trek uh, data you know, the data character, a walking, talking robot, I can think like a person, um, like a human. And that's what people call general AI or um, mm. strong AI. Right. And, and so, um, so when people, you know, it's very romantic and people, AI becomes very interesting and compelling to people because of that uh, sort of impression of AI. And then when, when it does not result in a walking, talking robot that you can't uh, tell the difference between that and the human, then people get really jaded and like, oh, AI doesn't work. The reality is that um, AI is sort of a, I consider it a tool set. Um, it's a lot of great tools that it provides to solve different problems. Uh, and, and even during the winters when you couldn't get funding for AI research, it was producing uh, great tools like Fuzzy Logic that we use every day. You know, Fuzzy Logic is being used in gearboxes for cars, you know. Um, so it's it definitely has applications. Uh, and I think it, um, you know, at, at Athena, we are are different, um, probably, probably because of me, mm -hmm. uh, in that we, we apply a lot of advanced techniques. We apply AI. We apply machine learning. A lot of data science departments don't do that. Mm -hmm. uh, a, lot, a lot of them are, are, are making forays into machine learning. Um, um, but a lot of them are still sort of uh, only peeking into AI. And, and to be clear about that too, is I think because I think there's like confusion and conflation about topics, uh, machine learning is AI, um, mm. is a subset of AI. Right. Um, 
and uh, so is natural language processing. You know, so AI is basically an umbrella term for a lot of different mm-hmm. approaches, mm-hmm. a lot of different techniques. Um, certain groups of them have become more popular uh, because they've been effective. So neural networks, you know, uh, like uh, convolutional or recurrent neural networks were around in the 60s. Mm. Uh, and people are talking about them now because, you know, Google has TensorFlow and you've got, and deep learning is becoming this huge thing. It's been around for very, very, for many mm. decades. Um, I think what's changing now is that you have access to way more data is digitized. So there's a lot more that you, that you can apply these algorithms to, but also hardware and, and computational abilities, uh, computational capacities are at an astonishing scale mm. now. So you have Google creating things like the TensorFlow processing unit, the GPU, um, and GPUs being used for things. So basically neural networks, even though the, the technology is quite old, um, the application or the ability to apply it to interesting problems effectively is very new uh, with, with the hardware. Um, so you're seeing a lot of trends that are gonna continue to evolve over time where data science, uh, AI basically infiltrates data science more and more and more. Um, and it, it also changes the way that that we're doing data science. Um, so I, I, to, to answer uh, one aspect of your question, I, I think industry is, is still very lagging behind academia. Academia is way, 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 many, mm. many decades ahead of, of what's actually used in industry. And that's, that's always been an interesting relationship to me. Um, it's far, far out. Um, so there's, there's solutions for interesting problems now sitting in you know books, uh, waiting for someone to uh, to actually apply them, um, which you know is great for me uh, because that's what I do. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean AI has also changed the way we do data science. There's been some interesting developments. There's actually something called the data science machine that came out of CSAIL mm. at the MIT, um, and they essentially used AI to do feature engineering and modeling, and they had it compete in these KDD competitions, and it actually beat out a lot of human teams. Um, and so, so it's fundamentally changing the way we do data science. So I think you're going to see AI in, in pro, not in, I don't want to say approach because um, I don't want people to be afraid of AI. Um, but it certainly changes the way that we work with data and the way that we do data science. You know, I think you're going to find um, you know parameter optimization for your machine learning algorithms. You know, with with algorithms such as you know gradient boosting machines or random forests, you have, you know, parameters such as, you know, um, what's the learning rate, uh, what is the depth of the trees uh, that you're learning, uh, how many trees do you learn, um, you know, and do you set that according to um, the, the sort of loss uh, function that you're using. Interesting. Um, you can use AI essentially to do essentially, you know, what you're essentially doing is applying AI on top of AI on top mm. of AI. Mm. So you use AI to, to optimize those parameters by turning that into another AI problem uh, and the gradient descent problem. And I think that's really, you're gonna see a lot of that. So data science is gonna change fundamentally and you're gonna see more and more packages out there that do a lot of this stuff automatically. Um, it's still not going to replace the human intuition for feature engineering. Mm. It's still not going to replace the human intuition for what algorithms to use to solve what problems. But it's going to solve a lot of problems, mm. uh, a lot of very basic things, you know, out of the box. Uh, 
um, that that are generalizable enough. There's a lot of stuff that's not generalizable, though. So interesting. So there'll be I'm, new new techniques yeah. that we'll be using. Inter- you know? Interesting. Why don't uh, we hear your, uh, your your closing remark for for anyone following AI? Uh, and you have any any thoughts or any solutions for those who are actually doing it in in, in AI in, in an enterprise um, environment or anything that you want to share to our community? Um, uh, I mean, a few thoughts. I mean, one one thought that the first thing that comes to mind is that I, I do see a lot of trends of people uh, chasing trends, and so AI has become you know it's it's got the crazy buzz again, and the, the hype cycles is up again. It has multiple hype cycles and. And this has certainly been true in healthcare. And one of the things I find myself repeating in lots of meetings at Athena and into other other companies in healthcare is that um, that we're not selling AI. You know, a lot of people are like, "What can we do with AI? Let, let's how do we do use AI? Or like, uh, what AI thing are we going to build?" And uh, and this goes back to an earlier uh, topic that, that we were discussing that it's got to solve a business problem. You know, we're not Athena Health doesn't sell AI, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't. I don't think it should try to sell AI. And so AI is, is a tool uh, for solving business problems. It's not uh, well, at least not for Athena Health. It's not a product in and of itself. It's not at this point. Maybe they'll pivot or or, or offer a new line of product specific to healthcare AI. Who knows? Um, but but that's that's a that's one recommendation. Is 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 seeing past the hype and seeing that AI is still a tool um, and uh, you know ultimately we're still making decisions about how that's used uh, and where to use it uh, and so the task becomes you know how do you effectively use it um, to solve a business problem so at the end of the day it's still business it's, it's right. the same business. processes and questions are, are relevant um, you just have like a lot more tools that you can draw from uh, use it as far as like tracking trends um i mean you know i uh there's always triple ai that's sort of more academic and so that's you're going to see like sort of the cutting edge stuff but things that are probably pretty far out from being being able to be applied um uh, but there's a lot i mean uh, when when you say AI, ai people often think about these sort of voice assistants like um you know siri and cortana and uh, Alexa, and uh, those definitely have AI in them, but um, it, it's pretty straightforward stuff at, at this mm. point. So I'd say expect those things to improve dramatically as they uh, tap into uh, it. So this, again, there's there's a lot of solutions to make those things a million times better than they are now, uh, and it's just a matter of time to develop those solutions and for those teams to, to, to crack into the academics and, and, and figure out how to do it. And work with that. So those things will improve dramatically over time. Uh, it will be interesting to see if if they fundamentally change how humans interact uh, with uh, computers and with technology. So uh, there's a guy named Chris Nocell uh, who uh, published a book just recently on agents of technology. Um, he has some really interesting perspectives, and so he's actually already thinking about how do people interact with AI. Uh, with products that have AI, so that's he's an interesting guy to follow. Uh, and uh, you know, if you want to check out his book, um, and then you know, for applied stuff, I mean, I, I you know, I follow KDD, and um, there's just so many different things to follow, and, and uh, great resources out there. Um, obviously, you can always follow me. I uh, 
I sort of throw things out there uh, when I can, uh, admittedly fairly negligent about my blog, but um, try to throw out things that I talk about and, and the trends and thoughts I have in the industry. Interesting. So uh, again, thank you, John, uh, so much for uh, sharing with our community your startup, your startup journey, your perspective on putting together a data science company, and then your um, thoughts on the best hires and your thoughts on the state of AI uh, when it, uh, with respect to where the enterprise is. And definitely uh, we'll be posting your Twitter handle uh, so you, people will be able to follow you talk to you and if, if they if they need any any clarification on it and, and and thank you so much by the way for candidly walking us through um and, and and sharing your perspective love to have you back at some point discussing about your second startup uh and and wish you wish you nothing but luck um in in that and uh thank you so much uh for for, for spending time with us sure thank you so much thanks for inviting me it's been a pleasure yeah, I just, I just, uh, I just, I just, I thought I was sick of home, but actually I was homesick. Never really knew that I would have to grow up so quick. I'm so uncomfortable, don't know anybody here. Just a couple dudes that I met once, that's it. Then I go into the booth feeling nervous. Got butterflies in my stomach like I'm so worthless. Is the mic gone? I don't know how to work this. Inside I'm breaking down, I hope I'm not up on a certain